the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their, in their heritage will remain forever. Those are verses 12 through 18 of Psalm 37. First 18 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, May the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. Uh, we're continuing our look at Daniel's prophecy today, uh, also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and then in First in John, chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. Daniel, we're in chapter 5, verses 13 to 30. So we're in the fifth chapter of each one of the lessons today on the fifth day of the fifth month. So here we are looking at Daniel's... Um, remember what's happened here. Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, whose father was the actual uh, king at the time, um, he has had a banquet, and he brought in vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought into Babylon. But he's taken these things out of the treasury, where they, they were still respected and shown value by being there. And he says, no, 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 let's bring them in here and let's use them at the banquet. And then they gave thanks to or praised gods of silver and gold and stone and wood. And so they have made a mockery of the things of God and then a mockery of God himself. And so uh, a hand, uh, fingers appear, write something on the wall, and the king, or the, the second in command, let's call him king, brings in, because he would be reigning probably because his father, who was absent frequently on excursions, uh, he would be the one who would be in charge at the time. So he calls in the, the Chaldeans and the others, and they're unable to tell him what it is. But then the queen, who is probably his mother, actually, says, um, this guy named Daniel. And so they bring Daniel in. <clears throat> Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they couldn't show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now all the things that he has said about Daniel here are the things that he was told by the queen. He, he, he recites them verbatim. He uses all the same uh, descriptors. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom after my father and me. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. You can keep all that stuff. I don't want that at all. That has nothing to do with me. That might appeal to most people, but not to Daniel. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He hasn't seen it yet, but he's confident in his ability to, um, to read it and to interpret it because of God. So his faith, not in himself, but in God, is strong. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. It came from God. 
And that's what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn himself. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, which is exactly what this, this guy, Belshazzar, has done. He was proud and, and brought in these, these vessels. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. So uh, it's, it's sort of the Bill Cosby thing uh, about you know, how to punish his son. I brought you into the world. I can take you out. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what, what God said. I set you up. I can take you down. So he was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. In other words, he's sleeping rough. He's outside sleeping. He's not even in the, in the palaces that he had built until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. It, it, in a way, you could liken Nebuchadnezzar's... Um, response to to being brought so low and and so then suddenly he makes a declaration that recognizes God and then he's delivered with that of another who was sent to Babylon and that is Jonah who is who runs from God hides from God does everything he can to avoid doing the mission he's been given to do until he's brought really low <laughs> in the belly of the fish, right? I mean, see, he's brought lower than even Nebuchadnezzar on a, on a physical thing. And then he finally proclaims the goodness of God and says salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's at that declaration, God spits him up onto the dry land. And it's a recognition of God's sovereignty over all things that both these two men had to come to. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Now, when I said earlier that, that he's not his son, he's his grandson, the son and father were kind of interchangeable terms in those things, in that way, because he is less than Nebuchadnezzar as being his son, because the one that comes first is more important. And that's the reason they get upset when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, because he's setting himself above Abraham. And he's also, when he says, I am, he is claiming equality with God, all, both those things at the same time. So your son, David, David's son, sits on the throne. And, and David's son, in a human sense, is Jesus. But Jesus predates him because Jesus was there at beginning. So here it's that language kind of gets confusing, but we know who Belshazzar was. And so we know that his father, Nabodinus, was the, was the king at that time. So he says, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heavens, and the vessels of this house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you've not honored. So we know because the list of guests that Daniel provides, which is the second time he's provided it, because at the beginning of the, the, it's called a pericope. So this pericope begins with verse 13, but the the pericope with the whole story of this begins in verse 1. And there we're told who's at the banquet. And so we're also told then that the queen hears of this and comes. So we know because his wives are there, that this queen refers to somebody other than one of those wives. So it's got to be the, his mother. 
So then, from the presence, uh, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. So then, after you dishonored God, the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, take and parson. Now, those words could easily be seen as referring to three coins in common use in Babylon at that time. And so the the funny thing is is that that they're of decreasing value. So it starts with the most valuable coin and then counts itself down to the least valuable coin. The the so what we have is that many many tackle parson. And so it, it they also have double meanings. All those words have double meanings. And so we, we have to understand a little bit about that, because it, and that's what Daniel then says. So the, but the king would have understood it when he said it. He just didn't understand the writing because it wasn't in a language that he knew. So it, he doesn't he doesn't can't read it. It's probably in Hebrew, so he can't read it. So Daniel can, and then he has to give the interpretation of it, and it can't just be coin, 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 coin. Right? So it's got to be more to it than that. Why is mene in there twice? And the common interpretation is, is that, it, that it fills out the, the poetic um, meter. So then he says, this is the, here's the inscription, many, many, take and parson, and which would have all sounded, he would have gone, wait a minute, why, did, why do we have coin denominations? And he says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So he said, you're less than that. So you are as nothing before the God of heaven. And so your kingdom is going to be divided. You're not going to keep it. It's going to collapse. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, which would mean Daniel would be number two. But it's a, it's a kingdom that Daniel has just said is going away, that it's done. Your time is over. So in the gospel, so yesterday Jesus had healed the sick after in Capernaum and then moved on, and now he has moved on, and this is a totally different time on one occasion we don't know timing on all this whether this belongs before the yesterday's reading or not on one occasion when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of god he was standing by the lake of gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting down into the one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land so he could see the people to whom he was speaking, it, you know, if you could imagine a crowd of people all around you, it, it's, it's not just feeling of claustrophobia. It's, it's I, I need to make eye contact. I need to be able to see these people. And, and if I'm standing in the midst of them, my voice is also not going to carry as well. I need to see that people are hearing what I'm saying. So he sat down, because that's what you do to teach, and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, fishermen fish at night. Let's start there. They're, they're cleaning their nets, which is to say they're finished with fishing for the day and they're getting everything prepared so that that next night they're already ready to go. They just get in the boats and go out and fish. So he, he, Jesus tells them, though, put out and let down your nets for a catch, put out into the deep. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. The fishing ain't good right now. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. I mean, so Peter has received him as somebody who, who can command 
um, them to do things, and that, that he will do so with some sort of hope, some vague kind of thing. Hey, because you said to do it, I'll do it, even though I just told you the fishing ain't good right now. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. I mean, they caught so many that their nets are breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So there's two problems here. One, it's daytime, so it's hot, and you don't. that's not when you fish, it's not when it's hot, because then the fish are down deep. But when you're fishing with nets, if you have a reasonable size catch, it's not a problem to haul that stuff up into the boat. But here, what we see is the catch was so great that it was swamping two boats once they got it on board. So the, the, the heaviness of all of this, fishing in the deep water, would have made this so difficult it was unbelievable. But it's also less likely that they would catch them because the fish would be less active at that time. So they signaled to the other boat, and they came and filled both so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This is the first of two different times that we're told about when they're fishing and, and Peter recognizes Jesus for who he is. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, he's, he's confessing Jesus' righteousness, and the proof of his righteousness is the sign of the fish, that Jesus had the authority, but, but he also has a knowledge and an understanding, and he is clearly responsible for this catch in Peter's mind. There's no way in the world this is ordinary or even possible in any way, except for you made it possible. And so he's recognizing Jesus in this way, and he responds to him in the same way that Isaiah responds to, to his vision in seeing the angel in the temple, right? Because he, he says, nope, I'm a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And so here Peter recognizes in Jesus a righteousness that transcends anything he's ever seen in his life. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The biggest catch they'd ever had in their lives, and the proof that they recognized that as um, the responsibility solely of Jesus is that they just walked away from it. They left their nets and followed him in the same way that the Samaritan woman at the well, she comes to the well to get water, but when she leaves, after speaking with Jesus, she leaves her water jug behind. She's found something more important, more valuable. She's found the pearl of great price. They've found the pearl of great price. They've recognized something in Jesus that is not true anywhere else. And so he didn't just make a statement of faith. He took the walk of faith in walking away. In the epistle today, John is continuing to encourage this this group of people. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which is that the Lord saves, that you may know that you have eternal life. So because you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you have eternal life, period, end of sentence. And this, you don't need other stuff. You don't need special revelations is what he's saying, what these other people claim to have. You don't need any of that. You don't need any of that to have confidence and security in eternal life. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So we can trust him to do the things that are of his will, and if we, we have confidence in asking. 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I don't say anyone should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So I can ask that you be forgiven for that sin. I need to confront it. I need to tell you this, that you're in sin, but I'm going to pray for you in that sin. But there's a sin that leads to death, and Jesus is very clear about what that is. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. He says, don't pray for that one. Don't pray for that when God's not going to say yes to that. We can pray according to his will, and he'll answer us, that's not according to his will because Jesus told him that. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. You don't persist in the life you had before. But he who is born of God protects him. The one born of God is Jesus, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So John's recognition is is that, that for the time being, the world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, that's an awful thought. It honestly is. We want to believe that God is, is sovereign, and he is. But like um, Belshazzar and his father Nabodnus, that there is a pecking order. And, and so there's a kingdom, the kingdom of the world at the present time, that, that is ruled and is in the power of the evil one. So Nabodnus, when he was gone, he was leading the army, and he was their direct leader. And then, the, uh, then Net, uh, Belshazzar was the ruler in the land at the time. And so his word would have held... Um, power in that place, but he was he he only had it because his father wasn't present. And Jesus makes it possible for God to be present wherever we are, and so we proclaim His kingdom into a place that's already a kingdom. And He has that kingdom. The evil one has the kingdom of the world because God gave it to him and allows him to to hold sway. In this interim period, there's a lot going on in the heavenly realms and in, in, in that spiritual world that we don't know about. But what we're told by Jesus and by John is, is that the evil one is has the power over this world at the present time. And so when we come and proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed, we're bringing light to the kingdom of darkness in the same way that Jesus did. And so it's important that we walk in the the authority that we've been given, but we also always need to ensure that we put on the whole armor of God because we uh, are, are coming to a hostile power and proclaiming a greater power. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. So he came. That's the important part in what John's saying is, is that we've got to— um, testify to the uh, incarnation of Jesus and that he was literally crucified and literally died. All those things are important. And he's given us understanding. And, and what, the, what he'd be saying there would be a counterargument to those who had come before into this community and tried to say that we have understanding that you don't have access to. And so there's things that we can teach you that you can't get anyplace else. Well, if that's true, and we have the Holy Spirit, then I don't know where you got that teaching, so I don't want it here. It doesn't belong here. It comes from an earthly place and a worldly place. But God loved the world, 
enough to send his son. So, so remember that even though it's under the power of the evil one, Jesus came to proclaim God's kingdom and to bring God's kingdom through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his people so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's an important thing because we are idol manufacturers. We can create an idol of anything. We can create an idol of our spouse. We can create an idol of our children. We can create an idol of our home, our job, whatever, a car, whatever it is. We, can, we're, we are so good at making idols and worshiping those things, and what that means is we will serve them. We'll do whatever it takes to have those things. Be careful. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.